This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up? Good morning. It's Friday, May 8th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm excited about today's episode. We're about to throw you guys to the interview that I did the other day with Josh Pate. Late Kick Josh on Twitter. Josh is the video director here at 24-7 Sports. He is a fantastic uh, video host, show host. He's got a great show Thursdays and Sunday nights called Late Kick on YouTube. And Josh also has used his show the last few weeks as a perch for his anti-group of five take. And this started during the NFL draft when the group of five just had one player taken in in the first round and the gap of talent clearly kept widening between the power five and the group of five per the data of total overall picks. And it's trending in a direction of the power five holding over its dominance. So I was talking to Josh about it and I was like, Hey, I kind of want to, I kind of want to, I really want to get you on the podcast. The, the people need to hear your your voice. But I also want to talk about your take because you believe that group of five schools, period, should not be allowed to play in the college football playoff. And that's even if you expand to eight. Josh is staunchly against that. I would side with more of a case-by-case basis. And in discussing how we wanted to talk about this, I said, let's let's choose a game to, to watch. Let's, let's watch this game and then talk about our group of five versus power five for the playoff argument within the construct of this game. So naturally I chose UCF versus Auburn in the peach bowl to follow the 2017 season. Of course, UCF won 34 to 27 to cap that 13 and 0 undefeated national championship. So they claimed season Scott Frost rode off to Nebraska and that was that UCF finished number six in the rankings that year, which is the highest a group of five team has ever gotten in the in the final college football playoff rankings. And you would think that this UCF team, if these guys aren't making the playoff, what other group of five team ever is going to have a chance because this team had some NFL talent, had a first-round pick at Mike Hughes in corner, uh, the cornerback Mike Hughes, had an awesome quarterback, McKenzie Milton. He was on fire against Auburn's defense and had just, just played really hard. Shaquem Griffin, you know his story. He, he was all over the place all over the place in Atlanta. Uh, that that UCF Knights defense got after Jarrett Stidham sacking him six times. I think if there's ever an argument to be made to allow a group of five team into the college football playoff, it would be this Peach Bowl, UCF 34, Auburn 27. Let's see what Josh Pate has to say about it. All right, we're bringing in Josh Pate. Josh, the listeners of the College Football Daily have not had the honor yet uh, of, of meeting you, but you're doing a great job at 24-7 Sports. You've got the Late Kick show on our YouTube page twice a week, Thursdays and Sundays. You've, in the span of one week, interviewed Matthew McConaughey and Urban Meyer. So you're sort of taking things by storm. And 
your voice, man. I've you got this. You got this made for TV or made for radio voice that I, I'm a little bit intimidated about. But, but how are you doing? Yeah, there's certainly no reason to be intimidated. Hey, but if you are Trey, remind me later to send you a link. I have a link of me the first time I ever got in front of a camera a little while ago. It was when I was still in college. Two things will stand out. Number one, uh, there's nothing on that tape to be intimidated by. And secondly, the Southern drawl that I had, I still have it now, but, but relative to what I sounded like the first time I was ever put in front of a camera, that'll be some fun for you. And that will dispel any rumors that anyone needs to be intimidated by anything behind the microphone that's in front of me right here. But I've had, I've had fun here, man. It's, you work there, you know it just like I do. If you're putting out a good product, and I'm proud of what we're putting out in video right now, but if you're putting out a good product, you walk around that corner from where your desk is to my desk in the home office, and you see all sorts of people who do all sorts of very important things that make what we do possible, that you never see their face, you never hear their voice, but they're very integral. Folks like Colin Bell, Aaron Grisham, people like that. And so that's what struck me the most is how good the overall team we have at 24-7 is. Yeah, I love you giving those guys a shout out. Josh, before we get started on our Group of Five playoff and UCF Auburn Peach Bowl rewatch, rewind, I should say, tell tell us all sort of your your background before 24-7 sports. You grew up in Georgia. You worked an assortment of, of odd jobs there, and you, you've covered college football now for, for quite some time. Yeah, I was in Columbus, which is about an hour south of Atlanta, and I, I, like many people, came out of college with no clue what I wanted to do. Now, I knew what I was passionate about, but I didn't necessarily understand that your passion and your profession could overlap. So I was working in a fabric warehouse, and I'd listen to sports talk radio every day and thought, like many others have thought before, I think I'd be pretty good at that. So I got in touch with the ESPN radio affiliate there, and I started going in, observing Finally, someone gets sick one day, you know, the old story. So they just put you on the air and uh, then they never took me off. And from there, I was heard by a local television general manager who hired me as a sports anchor, elevated to news anchor, started my own college football show on TV there, transitioned it to the YouTube platform, which got seen by our boss, Shannon Terry. He called me. I sent it to voicemail. I didn't recognize the number. I thought it was a telemarketer. I eventually called him back because I recognized the name on the voicemail. It was pretty important. And so, you know, he pitched me some ideas of wanting to do things on a much broader scale, but things along the lines of what I was already doing. And so here I am. I've been here since January, Trey. We've had a tornado hit my building. We've had the worst weather since uh, several of the plagues in the Old Testament. And now we've got a national pandemic going on. And all the while, you know, we're kind of insulated and trying to produce content and joking about it, but at the same time, understanding how serious things are. Yeah, in the span of two months, Nashville fit fit in just two outrageously bad power outages and a worldwide pandemic. So we've had some bad luck since you moved here. But Josh, you talked about being passionate about college football. I noticed in the wake of the NFL draft, you were, and I don't want to say passionate, but you you had some really good takes, really interesting takes on the group of five versus the power of five using the NFL draft picks number as a benchmark of talent. And you sort of spent a show on Late Kick talking about, and the, the title is, Should College Football Playoff Exclude Group of Five Teams? And you took a sort of aggressive stance. We're going to play it 
20-second long clip, and then, Josh, we're going to talk about it. I don't have to be for it, but it seems inevitable. If there is expansion, I am not for auto bids. I'm not for guaranteeing a Power 5 conference champion a seat at the table, so I'm certainly not in favor of guaranteeing any G5 champion or otherwise a seat at the table. I'll go a step further. I don't believe in spots for the G5 period at the college football playoff table. All right, Josh, I want to get your blanket your blanket remarks on why you don't think the group of five should be getting a team into the playoff. And we're going to hear that. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about this peach bowl, which I think sort of flies in the face of your argument. So the, the, the listeners just heard your clip, your, your 22nd clip. Let's expand on that. What, what is your main take or your main focal point for, for thinking the playoff should be power five only? Yeah, I always start this tray with what I do believe. Um, and, and then I extend into what I feel about the entire overarching college football playoff conversation. So, or I guess I should tell you what I'm not saying. So a lot of people automatically, if they hear what I'm about to tell you, they assume I think G5 games are trash. Even the best programs are trash. They could never compete on a neutral field with an Auburn, which obviously today's podcast is going to dispel. And that's not how I feel at all. I actually spend I don't know how many hours per year watching G5 games. I love G5 games. I'm glued to them just like everyone else is. Here's the difference. I'm of the belief that there is a minimum baseline that in terms of strength of schedule, you have to go through in order to qualify for the playoff conversation, the college football playoff conversation. I don't believe a G5 schedule presents that challenge to you, even the best G5 schedules. And so for anyone who believes I'm saying, oh, Central Florida couldn't compete or Boise of years past couldn't compete. That's not what I'm saying. It's the opposite. They could compete. They are capable, as today's show is going to remind you on any given Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, if it's a poll setting, of competing with and beating some of the very best Power 5 teams. Independent of the whole conversation of what motivation levels are and whatnot, forget all that. Let's just say motivation is equal. Of course they're capable. This Central Florida team trade that we're about to talk about from 2017 was a very good team. But here's how I remove the quality of team conversation. For the argument I'm making, we could take this year's Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, drop them into college football. If they played a G5 schedule, a typical G5 schedule, I, my opinion would be they don't belong in the college football playoff conversation. Now, no one would be able to argue they'd be the best team in college football by 150 miles. I don't care if you don't have the minimum baseline strength of schedule met. I don't care what your quality of team is. It's like if we were in NASCAR, I guess, and you and I had cars that were both equal and I went out and ran the race 500 laps and you did 10 laps and then just cut your way right to the winner's circle along with me and said, well, you know, I belong here too because my car's as fast as yours. Yeah, but you didn't take the risk that I took. I was out there. Bad things could have happened to me out there that in some ways are outside of my control. Just like if you play a power five schedule, and this goes back to the conversation that you brought up about the NFL draft. If you go back and you look at Texas A&M, for example, is just a team I pulled out of the blue this year. Texas A&M, Trey, I firmly believe faced more NFL talent this year, week in and week out, than some G5 teams will face in over a decade, possibly two decades of scheduling. Now, what does that mean? 
forget about the top teams. Take a team like Texas A&M or Mississippi State. If we're talking about comparing UCF with, you know, an Alabama at the end of the year, I've always maintained that the strength of the schedule for, let's say, an SEC team, it doesn't lie at the very top. Everybody knows it's hard to play LSU. Everybody knows that it's hard to play Alabama or Georgia. It's teams like Mississippi State, ironically, who may be seven and five or eight and four, that at the end of the year, when I look back, you know, I've stood on the sideline and watched these games against these teams that are seven and five, eight and four. And the thing about it is they're bad teams record wise, but they've got a dozen or two dozen guys on the field that are going to go on to play Sunday ball, either drafted or undrafted free agents. And so what I'm talking about with the strength of schedule is if I'm number one in the country and I'm a 28 point favorite over Mississippi state and I go beat them uh, 35 to seven, it doesn't matter any more the next day when my training room is full of guys because the collisions didn't hurt any less. And the bigger, the faster, the stronger, the caliber of athlete you play week in and week out is the more likely you are and more susceptible you are to injury, which could derail you, which has nothing to do with the quality of team you have. And it's just that I believe you have to face that minimum baseline because enough other teams are going to face that. You should have to face it as well. And if you didn't have to face it, you're not in this conversation for me. And I've always been a proponent of creating a G5 playoff to rectify this. But you know, the same people who argue that the caliber of football is plenty high enough in the G5 argue against that because they, I guess, subconsciously believe a G5 playoff wouldn't be worthy, which has always been kind of um, ironic to me. I would watch it. I know that. But I digress. That's not what we're talking about today. I think, well, first of all, I think there should be a, a G5 playoff. If if the playoff committee has made it clear in a four-team playoff that the group of five is not going to get a team in, like UCF in 2017, which finished sixth, then, then there should be a group of five playoff because who wouldn't watch that? So you made some interesting points. The week-to-week totality of a 12-game schedule, that's that's something I really hadn't heard before because like when people, Josh, talk about a UCF strength of schedule, they talk about the ranked opponents or the lack thereof. They talk about not having a marquee non-conference game. And it, you do feel for UCF because they, they can't get anybody to play them. And when you look at their upcoming non-conference opponents, the, the biggest one, I guess, that jumps off the, the screen at you is North Carolina for several years. They're going to play, play the Tar Heels. And like, that's just not that sexy. Like adding you adding North Carolina. And I don't care how good the Tar Heels get under Mac Brown. If they even become the number, you know, a 10 overall team or something like that's not going to get UCF in the playoff because it's just the totality of the schedule. You know, they're still playing temple. They're still playing uh, like random, you know, East Carolina. So what about though, Josh, the argument that the playoff is up to, and even if they expand to eight, you're just trying to choose the four best teams. And we talked off air, you brought up Clemson as sort of the hole in your argument because 2019 Clemson, they almost lost North Carolina. Their schedule wasn't good at all. They scheduled two SEC teams who ended up stinking A&M and South Carolina, but they were clearly one of the four best teams in, in, in college football. And they proved it by beating Ohio state in the Fiesta Bowl. So your argument removing a group of five team from the discussion because it plays just in in a group of five conference kind of could rob us of a a special UCF type team who has draft picks and has a, a really great quarterback. And I kind of, I kind of want to hit you on that though, too, because again, like UCF schedule in 2017 probably isn't all too different than Clemson's in 2019. You're right. 
this is hypocrisy. Like I told you, this is the hypocrisy in my argument because I cannot in good faith look at Clemson's 2019 schedule and say, oh, that's that's in a different league than what UCF plays any given year or Memphis or Cincinnati. Because the fact of the matter is, and this is no fault of Clemson's, nor is it the fault of UCF when they can't get someone to play. But the fact of the matter is the ACC is the strength of schedule there is abysmal. Uh, it's you can't defend it. You can't argue it. It's just bad. Um, for lack of a better term, you don't need a better term. It's just bad. And the one thing that Clemson did to their credit is whether it took foresight or they just did it to challenge themselves. They did at least schedule Texas A&M in an out of conference game. They've been good at scheduling out of conference, but you're right. I mean, if I look at the end of the year and UCF had played that schedule, it wouldn't stand out. I mean, that would look very much in line with what they play every year. I get what I did, Trey, is at the end of the season last year, and I was making this argument now, I was kind of playing my own devil's advocate on my independent show at the time when I was doing it down in Columbus. And I was saying, you know, if you were to come to me and you were to make the following argument, the one we just presented, I don't know that I could push back all that hard. The only reason I didn't have a problem with Clemson being in the playoff, and again, this is hypocritical, is I ju- I've seen them before. Mm-hmm. I know recruiting. I know their roster's loaded. I don't have any doubt about the validity of their strength of team. But then at the same time, you're listening to the same guy who just told you if the Chiefs played an AAC schedule, I wouldn't think they belong in. So are we talking about strength of team? Are we talking about strength of schedule? And if you don't have the strength of schedule, does it matter what your strength of team is? I understand there's hypocrisy there. That's just it's one of the loopholes I have to deal with, I guess, in this argument. But I, I think the argument is 98% sound, I guess is what I'm saying. I think it is too, because I think only 2% of the time you're going to come across a group of five team who would compete. And that'll bring us to the Peach Bowl. Before we do that, I do want to, the scheduling note for a power five school like Clemson, that's really interesting that it's, I mean, they were, Josh, they were flirting with disaster with their 2019 schedule, maybe to no fault of their own. You said it's not their fault. The ACC is hot garbage. It's not their fault. A&M wasn't good. South Carolina is not good. In 2021, they just added Georgia. A game in Charlotte, dumping Wyoming in the process. Their their 2021 schedule before Georgia was total, total like a, a joke, and that had set up a situation where sure they have to go undefeated. But you could wonder like if you go undefeated and with a schedule that had included Wyoming and and some FCSs, like if that's even enough, because then you really are talking about a group of five type schedule comparing the ACC to the AAC. But. but think about this, Trey, just just to jump in for a second. Now, I still believe that there's an unequal standard, even subconsciously. The, the folks who want to carry the banner and the torch for the G5, and I have no problem with that, but I want you to just think this out loud for a second. So Clemson played Texas A&M last year. I was at the game. I was like, uh, Me by too. The way, it was one thirteen on the field at kickoff. It was brutal. Yeah, brutal. it was terrible. And uh, A&M hung for a little while, but don't think about the score or anything like that. Think about this. Clemson schedules Texas A&M. Does anyone ever talk about that game anymore? Like, does anyone remember? When, they, when you talk about the 2019 college football season, no one remembers that game. Now I want you to imagine if UCF had played Texas A&M at home, how big would that game have been treated? Huge. That I is mean, people, monstrous. People acted like UCF Stanford was a really big deal. Correct. So you you realize I'm talking about my hypocrisy, but think about the hypocrisy of the same people out there who want to poo-poo 
Texas A&M calls they were only seven and five, eight and four, whatever they finished last year. Well, yeah, but the first thing is Clemson did schedule them, though. They could have had Wofford in there. They scheduled them instead. Secondly, how about this? We're talking about relative strength of team. I had an odds maker buddy of mine. I asked him at the end of the year because no one was giving Clemson credit for the A&M win. And I said, just out of curiosity, if I were to put A&M in the AAC, let them play UCF schedule. How many games are they favored in? You know what the answer was, Trey? Hmm. 12. Their schedule, they're favored in all 12. So an, a Vegas odds maker would favor Texas A&M to go undefeated against UCF schedule. So it's all relative to the teams you play. Because I don't know about you, but I'd be able to bet pretty good money that let's say I dropped UCF into College Station, Texas, and had them play that schedule this last year or South Carolina's schedule or Auburn's schedule. I don't know that they're going undefeated. I'm pretty sure they're not. And so I've never been a believer at the college level, you are what your record says you are. In the NFL, I believe that because the gap between the best and the worst is a creek compared to the Grand Canyon's gap between the relative strength of schedules and whatnot in college football. The College Football Daily will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's funny that we talk about games that sort of get forgotten and the totality of a, a grueling and tough SEC schedule like Auburn in 2017. I had totally forgotten this game, Josh. I don't think you did, but you know, you're kind of more of a, a Southern guy than I am. But in 2017, Auburn went to Clemson in week two. Like Auburn, Auburn was out here playing college football playoff teams left and right. This team ended up going two and two against playoff teams per my math, beating Alabama, beating Georgia, and then of course losing to Georgia in Atlanta and they play they play they play a UCF team that eventually is going to crown itself as a version of a national champion and this is a really fun team. I actually hadn't watched this Peach Bowl yet until this week. We were on a work trip in San Antonio for the Army All-American Bowl and there's just too much going on to watch it. But Josh, when you watch it for the second time or the third time or however many if time, did you have any sort of takeaways outside of the fact that like UCF was clearly belonging there. Like I really enjoyed watching young Derek Brown, like fold the UCF running back Adrian Killens into a chair. I loved watching McKenzie Milton play football. I loved watching Shaquem Griffin. Uh, what stood out to you? I got such vivid memories of this game, even though I wasn't there. I live an hour South of Atlanta. I cover Auburn or covered them routinely at the time, it was the program I lived closest to. But I was in New Orleans, actually, this day for the – Clemson played Alabama in the semifinal yeah. game that day. That was the same day that Georgia played in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. And so I went to the Superdome early. I think this game was like a noon kickoff. And so I went over there early. I watched this game in the Superdome press box. It felt like there were like five people in the entire building with me. And I remember – you got to understand the context, Trey. Everyone – you know, we're going to talk about Central Florida, but understand the context with Auburn, too. You talked about the schedule they played, and they started out of the gate kind of slow. I think that's the game that Jarrett Stidham got sacked 11 times against Clemson. And so they had a new coordinator, new quarterback, so they finally get things together, and they go to Baton Rouge. They play LSU. They get a 20 to nothing lead in Death Valley. I'm down there for this game. I leave the field early mm. to go eat. I think Auburn's about to blow Ed Orgeron out. 
and, and LSU out. Out of the job. Yeah. LSU comes back and wins the game. Stunned Auburn. It's like a cattle prod to the neck. They were stunned. I was in Malzahn's postgame press conference, and his wife was in there. And it, on the road, man, if you've never been in a road press setting or locker room in college football, it's a true home field advantage, man. They put you in a broom closet, basically. Most of these teams can't even fit in the road locker room. So it's a very confined area. The Auburn beat guys are openly trashing Malzahn loud enough, plenty loud enough, where his wife can hear it. She's over there leaned up against the wall, and she's not saying anything. And so everybody that week assumes he's fired. The talk was not if, but when. The talk was not if, but who is going to replace him. And less than five weeks later in real time, he goes on to get things straight. They beat number one Georgia, crushed them. They beat number one Alabama. And then they're going to the SEC championship game. And behind the scenes, Malzahn and his representation pushed Auburn against the wall and said, we want a new deal. We want it right now. I was about to get fired five weeks ago. You gave me no vote of confidence. I want a new deal now. And he, to his credit, and Jimmy Sexton, to his credit, got the Auburn power brokers to, to agree in principle to a new deal. I think it was like $7 million a year, a bunch of it guaranteed before they went to the SEC championship game. So perfect timing because then they lose to Georgia and in a lot of ways felt like they were out of gas. Kerryon Johnson was injured. A lot of them were banged up for that game. And so that was the context. And now we arrive at the Peach Bowl against UCF. And I remember thinking when I was watching it, it's weird because when we went through the first half of this game, if you were to look at the stat line and not watch the game, it would have felt like Jarrett Stidham was running circles around McKenzie Milton. That's what the stat line would tell you. And yet your eyeballs, when you watch, Milton had terrible passing numbers in the first half, but he made some big first down runs with his legs and he bailed them out on third down a couple times and kept them in the game. And I mean, it was, it was a very close game at half. It was close game throughout, but it felt like the entire time, Trey, you were waiting and wondering when is the spark going to happen for UCF? Because it, 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 I felt the whole time like it was coming. I, I didn't think that they were a team that could be bottled up for four quarters, and they weren't. But eventually, when they started to break it open and they really started to catch fire in the second half behind Milton's uh, much-improved stat line in the second half, all I kept thinking was, Mackenzie Milton looks like the kind of quarterback Malzahn wants more than Jarrett Stidham does. Absolutely. That's a great point. I, Mackenzie Milton was, I, I, after that last touchdown he threw, which was absurd and sort of basketball on turf, the announcers were like, hey, it looks like a guy who you're going to be seeing in a few hours. And that, of course, being Baker Mayfield. And yeah, this game kind of made me miss Mackenzie Milton. And, and that's interesting, too. That's a good point about Stidham. Obviously, it's interesting watching this week as the Patriots continue to double down and triple down on Jarrett Sidham being the guy. And, you know, he didn't have the best game. And I thought it was interesting. Allison Williams on, on ABC is talking about, they're like cutting to her talking about, hey, guys, you know, Sidham's, Sidham's on the sideline. He's telling his teammates, keep your cool, keep your cool. We got this, we got this. And then, of course, he throws that pick six to a to a guy in coverage who he never saw and and UCF makes it 34 to 24 time being I didn't think Stidham was very good compared to Milton being sort of a genius and it's like the quarterback is the great equalizer here and I think that's a really big feather in the cap for a group of 5 team because oftentimes they're going to have an offense that is I don't I don't want to say light years ahead but an offense that is 
designed to take advantage of speed and space. And you see that when you watch group of five football, right? Like a Memphis, UCF, um, you see these teams that look, they turn a five foot 11 quarterback from Hawaii into a, you know, number seven in the Heisman. And I think sometimes a, a group of five team can end up with better quarterback play than a power five, than a power five school, just because maybe of the ingenuity of the offense. And I think that's like, when I watched this game, that's what I kept coming back to like, man, like, this is such a special quarterback. I think they could have played with anybody. Here's why I always expect group of five teams to shine in bowl season. Number one, cause they always have a chip on their shoulder. Forget about the chip for a second though. Number two, what you just said, right? So if you recruit perennially top 10 classes, like Auburn does top 15 to be safe. But I mean, a lot of these teams are perennially in the top 10. There have been times, whether you realize it or not during a year, where you lean on talent, which is fine if you have it. We get to these bowl settings, and sometimes you can't guarantee what the motivation level is for a team. I can tell you right now, Trey, I had an Auburn starter tell me that they didn't think this was but about the sixth biggest game they played all year. That was before the game, by the way. So that's an excuse. Sure, certainly it is, but yet I can't deny that the guy told me that. But the point is, if you have talent, pretty good talent, and you've leaned on that talent. You, you can only lean on talent when talent's motivated. So let's say we get into this kind of setting. And you've leaned on talent all year. And you try and do it. And your talent, eh, for whatever reason, it's just an off day. Well, that doesn't happen with group of five teams. Because group of five teams don't lean on talent. They lean on scheme. They lean on organization. And they lean on execution. And that kind of stuff shows up in bowl season. The, it, what you're basically saying is you watch a G5 team, you watch a high-level UCF team in the G5, and it is like they scheme points. They design points. And you're watching, and you're not seeing any future first-round draft pick that stands out. I mean, Shaquem Griffin played pretty darn well in this game, but you're not seeing a, a field littered full of future Sunday guys, but yet collectively – the performance is something you would think you would get. And that's because they haven't been able to walk around their complex every day and know, hey, if all else fails, we'll just give it to 25. We'll just give it to 42. We'll just give it to 73. That's not the way that works at the G5. They understand they got to earn every point they score and they got to do it on a grease board and they got to do it in practice and they got to have all 11 working in harmony. In some cases, much more than maybe one of their power five brethren do. And that's what happens sometimes in these games. When you watch Auburn, you know Auburn's the more talented roster, but in some cases they just, they look out of sorts and maybe in some examples, maybe not this one, but some examples, even lethargic compared to the group of five team, which looks like they're playing with their hair on fire. Sure, yeah. Uh, Auburn had 16 total draft picks from this team and there will be some more in 2021, including six in 2020 UCF from this team has had six total draft picks period. So that's 10 less. They did have a first rounder in 2018 and Mike Hughes, but you're right, Josh, like the talent's not close. Although UCF, you know, Mike Hughes, Traquan Smith, they got a starting tight end for the Texans and Jordan Akins. Like they had some guys, Shaquem Griffin, six tackles, one and a half sacks, three and a half for loss, like was playing harder than anybody. And that goes back to your point. I, I, I definitely had planned in my notes to ask you about, did Auburn want to be there? Was Auburn running on fumes? Because the announcers mentioned Carrion Johnson was on a pitch count of sorts before the fourth quarter. He still had 22 carries for 71 yards, but 
I remember that season. He was sort of the Iron Man in the last month of the year. The, the Georgia SEC title game was tough for carry on. So Auburn's motivation has to be a factor here, right? Like, I, I mean, you, you said it. What, like, let me ask you a better question. So uh, knowing that Auburn is more talented, but not motivated as much as UCF and knowing that Auburn is injured or maybe running on fumes a little bit. If these teams played 10 times, how many times does Auburn win? And then if these teams played the first week of October, how many points does Auburn win by? That is the question. See, I've never, to be honest with you, Trey, I've never cared about bowl results. I love bowl season. I've never factored bowl results into uh, my perception of the landscape of college football, unless it's a playoff or national championship setting. I don't care if it benefits my argument or hurts my argument. I don't care if you put this in October. Number one, you may have a healthier Auburn, but number two, I don't have to worry about the motivation being disproportionate. Now, I understand what this sounds like. If I'm on the other side of this argument, guys, I know exactly what you're yelling at your phone or your device right now. You're saying, okay, well, if we lose to a power five team, everyone says, told you so. But if we beat the power five team, everyone makes excuses. You're right. You're, I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you, I've been around this. I've been, I mean, when I say this, I mean the players. I can't tell you. I just gave you one example. That's not the only example of players who, when they go off the record, they will tell you bluntly, we don't respect these teams. We don't get up to play them. You're talking about an Auburn squad. Think about this, trade. They went to Clemson. They went to LSU. They had Georgia. They had Bama. They had Georgia again, and they don't achieve their goal. That's what's most important to remember here. In this setting, this is UCF's Super Bowl. Everything they could ever want is in front of them in this game. Everything Auburn wanted is in their rearview mirror. They didn't break camp with the goal to play in the Peach Bowl. And a lot of times, here's where the misunderstanding comes in. When folks start to make excuses, and I'll admit to you, that's exactly what it is. When folks start to make excuses for why a team like Auburn is disinterested or maybe doesn't bring the motivation level that you do, a lot of people on the UCF side of this fence can't understand that because they think, well, we're motivated for this game. Like, this is a huge game. How could you not be up for the Peach Bowl? I understand it from your perspective. You got to think about it from Auburn's perspective. Guys, this is, this is not the biggest game that Auburn played in this building in the 2019 season, 2017 season. So you just, it's an excuse. It's a, just like arguing about injuries is an excuse. Arguing about motivation levels, it's all an excuse. But Trey, that doesn't change the fact that it's just a reality. And it always will be. It will be anytime one of these major programs has their primary and even secondary goals ripped out from under them, and they are given what they view as a consolation prize. And you got half your roster focused on staying healthy. You got uh, an eighth of your roster focused on going to the draft. And these days, it's will I even play in the bowl game? They don't have those conversations at the G5. It's, it's let's do, we'll jump in front of a freight train if it means winning this game. I, I, as a Texas guy, I've heard the that argument from Georgia when they they lost to the Sugar Bowl, and I kind of hate it because it, it takes away from a W. But I understand it too, and I thought Georgia having to play in two straight Sugar Bowls after being on the brink of a playoff appearance was probably tough. And I thought one of Kirby Smart's best wins period was them them beating Baylor 
this year because you know that they were not motivated to be there at all. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I I remember vividly talking to people close to the Georgia program. They didn't. They weren't crazy about the lead up. They weren't crazy about the practice. Ironically, here's what here's what some people close to Georgia think saved them. And then we'll get back on track here. Is they had so many guys injured, so many starters were injured for Georgia that they got enough young guys on the field that were seeing their first meaningful playing time that the motivation level for the team was actually higher because you had a bunch of guys that weren't established and a bunch of guys who were cutting their teeth and getting a chance to get some quality reps on tape for the following spring. It turns out that we didn't have spring, but that like Georgia ironically benefited from injury. I don't think I've ever said that before. No, that's a really great point. Zamir White when ran really hard. Uh, George Pickens had one of the breakout stage games of the, the entire bowl season. No, that's a that's an interesting point. I'm like looking at UCF Auburn, and we chose this game because it's the best case of a group of five team proving that it belongs. And look, I I don't know. Like if you throw UCF into the playoff vat. I don't know what happens. In a way, I feel like Oklahoma is at times a glorified group of five school, and I'm a Big Twelve guy, so like I, that's that. It took me a lot to say that, but in the sense that the talent's good, it's not as good as Georgia's. The offense is pretty good, pretty creative, pretty pretty ingenious. But then Oklahoma can never win a playoff game, and I almost kind of feel like that's what would happen if you threw a group of five school in there. I think so. Um, and I also think that if we're talking about Oklahoma, Oklahoma is one of these teams on steroids. I mean, Oklahoma's roster is significantly more talent. I know we throw around talented all the time. It's more skilled and talented. Uh, those, right. those are the two important factors there. And the important part that we're talking about with Oklahoma is they have, by benefit of being a Power 5 team with a very recognizable brand, uh, marquee players, and most importantly, winning those conference championships, having a good enough resume, they've been in playoff situations. And so in playoff situations, again, we take this whole M factor, the motivation factor out of it. No one's ever said, oh, we showed up to that playoff game, but we weren't motivated. You get the absolute best that whoever is across the field from you 53 and a third yards away has to offer. And so I always wonder, and again, I, according to my argument, I hope I don't find out, but I always wonder like if I take one of these P5 or G5s and I drop them into a playoff situation, all of a sudden the team across from you has to get through you to get what they want instead of not getting what they want and having you across from them as a side dish or as a consolation prize. And it's a hypothetical that you can't know until you know, but I have never viewed non-playoff bowl results as any kind of indicator of what it would look like if this G5 team or that G5 team ever made a playoff game. I don't know if we're going to have a, a group of five team like 2017 UCF for quite some time, but Josh, let's spin this forward a bit. If the playoff expands to eight, which seems like it's going to happen maybe by 2022, how do you figure out, how do you figure out what to do with, with a group of five or an auto bid? I know you don't love that, but my argument for giving the group of five an auto bid as the eight seed is because you have to find, and this is maybe, this goes to your argument, Josh, you have to find a way to reward the number one seed if you're going to have them play every round, right? So I would rather, if I'm the one seed, play the best group of five team than an SEC or a Big Ten 
at large. And I, I do think if 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 the playoff expands to eight, that you make sure you get the group of five team in there because, like, again, like they're going to have some years where there's a group of five team who deserves to be in there. It's not going to be every year, which I guess as we work through this flies against my argument. But I think in most years, the number eight team could be a group of five team. Well, so think about what you just said. You said at the very end, close to the very end, some years, right? But we're talking about. A, building this monolithic structure here where yeah it's it's fixed it's fixed criteria every year i don't believe in auto bids period not just for the g5 i don't believe in auto bids for anyone i don't believe in i believe the sec is the best conference of college football right now i don't believe in building a structure wherein i know before toe meets leather in week one this conference's champion is going to be in the playoff regardless of fill in the blank i don't believe in that i believe in putting the best teams in. Now, I'm not even for playoff expansion, but if we're going to assume playoff expands for eight, 16, whatever the field is, I just believe in putting the best in. Now, here's my problem with auto bids. It's okay if you come to me and say, I don't necessarily just want the best teams in top to bottom. I want equal representation across the country. If that's what you believe the best structure for the playoff is, I'm fine with that because at least you were intellectually honest with me and we just differ in what we think is best for college football and what the best product would be. And I'm okay with that. We can have different opinions. But if someone comes to me and says, I want the best teams in, and that obviously means auto bids for conference champions, because if you can't win your conference championship, how should you be in the playoff? It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense at all. Let's go back to my radical concept of dropping an NFL team into college football. Only let's do two of them this time, Trey. Let's take um, who was it? Who the Niners, who who Niners and Chiefs. So the Super Bowl last year. And this is for the crowd who believes conference champs are the ones who belong in the playoff and you shouldn't be in if you don't win your conference championship. Well, what happens if I drop San Francisco into the Pac 12 and let's say I drop the Chiefs into the Big Ten? Who do you think would win those conferences, Trey? Of the NFL teams. Yeah, and then they would both be in the playoff, right? Because they were right, conference right. champions. Okay, now I'm not going to change anything about the Niners. Same coach, same roster, same everything. But I'm going to you know, walk in the restaurant, put a quarter in, the grab claw goes down, and it picks up the Niners, and then we move them over to the Big Ten. Now they're in the same conference as the Chiefs. Now who's going to make the playoff? Chiefs. Why won't the Niners make the playoff? They're an NFL team. They'd be favored by 40 points over every other college team. I'm sitting here waiting for for Ohio State to be to be making its great. So you yeah, I mean, you've got you've got at-large teams who are left out. So let's just uh, let's just admit to each other, it is possible in this crazy world of college football. It is possible for there to be a concentration of very good teams in a close geographical proximity. What is a conference? A conference is an imaginary line that's drawn on a map. I love conferences. I love conference championship games. Love them. I grew up, like you said, in Georgia. I mean, the SEC championship game is treated like it should be, which is a huge deal in the South. But here's what I believe. Play the conference championship games. I love it. I mean, that's part of the fabric of modern-day college football. The only thing I've believed, Trey, is the day after or the night of, so that Saturday night before Selection Sunday, as soon as the dust settles and every game's been played, press a button and it removes conferences. And all I have remaining is I have 130 resumes, however many teams we have now in FBS, and I'm taking the best of the best. You can factor in conference championships. 
If you want to weight someone's criteria, if you want to make that a green check mark on their resume, an extra one, that's fine. I've never been a believer in conference championship requirements. And I've never been a believer that just because you didn't win a conference that you don't belong in a playoff. So that's my whole take on that. And it all goes back to that resume conversation. No matter how big the field is, I'll never be a believer that a G5 team's schedule is going to allow them to qualify for this. And the reason goes back to, you know, what I was talking about a little while ago. If you take a team like AM, AM was either seven and five or eight and four this last year. I can't remember. And it is all about the quality of their schedule. Cause like I said, my odds maker buddy, I can't, I can't simulate the season. All I can do is the best guess that you could have is what if AM, I keep the same team, same coach, same roster, but I'm going to remove their schedule they played last year and I'm going to give them Cincinnati's schedule. Texas A&M would be a 10 and 2 team minimum, probably 11 and 1, maybe 12 and 0. All that changed is their schedule. To see how important strength of schedule is in college football, you're talking about Trey potentially going from 7 and 5 to 12 and 0 with the same team playing allegedly the same sport, and that's my argument. When you look at some of these schedules compared to other schedules, it's like these teams are playing two different sports, and I don't believe in good faith. You can compare them and seat them at the same table and debate and put one against the other with the disproportionate strength in schedule. That's my, it's not the quality of team. That's never been my problem. It's the strength of schedule and the disparity in the two. That's always been what I can't get over. It's going to be really fascinating to see if the playoff expands to eight, which would give the power five teams a little bit more leeway. Does anyone budge and start scheduling the really good group of five schools? Because if they don't, and if there's no auto bid for the group of five, then we really should have a group of five playoff because these guys don't have a chance. Josh, there's like no good way to wrap this up. We could probably talk about this all day, especially that there's nothing else to talk about. Like we could just you know, sort of sort of go down memory lane here. But I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your 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 take. And I I don't know if I agree with it. It's hard to disagree with it though too too much after listening to it for uh, almost an hour now. But uh, Josh, thanks. Uh, Thanks for, thanks for coming on and, and hope, you know, I know we cherry picked UCF Auburn as like a, as a game where we, where we knew the group of five was going to present itself well, but there's a ton of other scenarios and games in which it wasn't that way. Yeah, there are. And it's always going to be a cherry pick. I don't, I, I open my inbox. Like I said, on every show we do, I always put my email there, put my Twitter there and I don't do it just to promote myself. I do it because I take a ton of viewer feedback, just as I did in the video that you referenced. And I read every one of them and I either respond to them, you know, via direct response or I respond on the show. Truthfully, some of my best content comes from reading a viewer's email and then responding to it from a previous show on the next show. And I, and I enjoy it because, Trey, I believe everyone thinks they're right on everything. Okay. If you ever ask someone, hey, do you think you're right on everything? And they say no they think they're answering the way they're supposed to answer. But I mean, if I ask you, Trey, do you think you're right on everything? And you say, no, I would ask you, okay, well, what opinion do you hold that you think is wrong? And why do you hold that opinion? I think I'm right on everything, but I am also wise enough to know there are probably things I'm wrong about. And there are probably opinions that are flawed. And sometimes a viewer can point that out. I've changed several opinions because of viewer feedback. And that's why I enjoy doing it in this setting. You and I could have had this discussion in the office just amongst ourselves. It's always fun to do it on these sorts of platforms because you have thousands of extra ears, in this case, listening, and you have thousands of extra minds 
that hold different combinations of logic that form what is called an opinion. And I am open all day and twice on Sunday to having an opinion presented that trumps mine. And I will adopt yours in a heartbeat if I think it does. Well, get at him on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're watching his show Thursdays and Sunday nights, Late Kick on YouTube. Josh, you also got a podcast, Late Kick Pod. Thanks, Josh. Have a good one. You too, man. It was fun. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We'd love to see if you think Josh is right or if you think I'm right. You can tell us in the the review section on Apple Podcasts while you're leaving your five-star review. Hope everybody has an awesome week, and we'll see you back on Monday. For Josh Pate, for Tawny Levitt, who's our producer, I'm Trey Scott. Talk to you guys next time.